You may be seated. Amen. Good morning and Merry Christmas. It's so special to be able to come together to worship God on a Sunday and it be Christmas all at the same time. And you know, that won't happen again for another 11 years. So it's not like it happens all the time. It's very special. We're, we're so very glad. I'm very glad that you're able to be with us this morning. Uh, those of you who are members, those who are visiting, traveling through, family, and uh, we just are very glad and blessed to have you here, and we want you to know you're always welcome here. We appreciate and are thankful for everyone's presence. I remember Christmas growing up as a kid with my brother and sister, and somehow us kids couldn't hardly get up for school and church or nothing but on Christmas morning, I don't know how we did it, we didn't have an alarm except as some kind of internal Christmas alarm and we woke up, who knows what time it was, ready to rip open presents. I, I don't know how we did it, but we were able to wake up ready to go and that was the only day of the year we could ever do that. Well, somehow we, had, we thought we figured out a scheme to get our parents up earlier because the rule was you had to stay in your bed until the, our parents, you know, until they were ready to get up and tell us, okay, you can come to the living room and get around the Christmas tree. And that was the hardest part because we're ready to go and they're not. So we, what we thought of, we devised this really intelligent scheme was we would get on our top bunk and then there was an air conditioning vent up there really close by. And we thought if we spoke into the air conditioning vent and said, it's Christmas, good morning, and, and you know, sent subliminal messages through the air conditioning vents, that that would help wake them up. And probably that didn't work, but they just heard us throughout the house as normal. And they heard us uh, making sounds and telling them it's Christmas and how we're so excited. And eventually they would... Uh, let us know it was time, and there we go, rushing and ripping through the house to get to the presence. You know, when I was growing up, all I thought about and all I probably cared about was the presence, right? I mean, you hear the, the stories and the songs, but when you're a kid, all you're thinking about is the Christmas presents. What am I going to get? And then I had a friend, Neil, uh, they went to... West Irwin, every Christmas, he would call me, hey, what did you get? And then he would go on and give me the long, long list of all the things he got. And I got to, then I would get to play with his stuff when I get, went to his house. But you know, around this time of year, as we get older, we, we mature, we, we start growing up, and, and we think about other things other than the presents that we hope we get. And one of the things we start thinking about is especially is the birth of Jesus, right? This time of year, this is the time that we're thinking about that. Of course, there's Santa Claus all around and all that, and there's the classic movies and the, uh, the, 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 the more recent movies, but, but more importantly, we're thinking about the birth of Jesus. You know, some people may think, and some people do think, that the birth of Jesus doesn't really matter. What matters is his death, burial, and resurrection. And 
You ever heard somebody think that, that you know, the birth, you know, it, it only is necessary because it got him to the point of his death, burial, and resurrection. Well, is that true? Is that what Christians should believe? Is that what we learn when we study about Jesus and Scripture? Certainly the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior is vitally important, but what about his birth? And so we've been studying in this short series about the Trinity, understanding the Trinity, and we study about Jesus today. Well, Jesus' birth does matter. Of course his birth matters. It matters immensely. The birth of Jesus, though, as we know, is much more, about, more than a celebration at a certain time on a certain day. We know that. We know that it's, it's more than just a holiday that we set aside on our calendar. Now, it's certainly fine to set aside this day, and hopefully that, that's a way that somebody might be introduced to Christ and become a Christian. And so, so there's nothing wrong with taking advantage of the season and the, the opportunity and the moment and making sure that we're talking about Jesus on this day, that our focus is on Jesus and not on presence, as mine was when I was little. You know, we often hear the phrase, Jesus is the reason for the season. And that's right, and that's true, and there's nothing wrong with that. But what I want to point us to, what I, that I hope that you'll see and, and be reminded of, is that Jesus is far more uh, beyond just a, a season, a reason for a season. And he's the reason for everything in our lives, not just one season or one day or one moment where we rip open packages. That he's, he's the reason for everything. Look at what Paul wrote in Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him, talking about Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Look at the magnitude of that statement about Jesus. That's beyond a season or a day or a moment in our day. That's beyond just a nativity scene. All those things are fine and good. They can be used for the glory of God. But I want us to understand that Jesus is beyond that, that he fills our everything. Jesus' birth, we're going to look at why Jesus' birth matters. His birth is, you could say, the most significant event in human history. Why could you say that? Is, is, that, is that real? Well, think about this. Everything that happened before that led up to the event of Jesus' birth. And everything that happened after Jesus' birth points back to the Savior who was born to us. You see, if it had not been said for uh, to us, a child is born, where Isaiah prophesied that in Isaiah 9, 6, and then Luke uh, records that in Luke 2.11, then the Hebrew author could not have written there in Hebrews 12, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Had he not been born, he could not have died on the cross and been resurrected for our salvation. 
Matthew expressed this in Matthew 1. Look at verses 20 and 21 when he wrote about Joseph, Jesus' earthly father. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Remember, we looked at the Holy Spirit last week. Verse 21, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Look at this. For he will save his people from their sins. So he had to be born in, other, in, in order to save us from our sins. His birth was immensely important. Next, Jesus' birth shows us that God is faithful to his promise to save us. And God has, had made this promise way back in Genesis. In Genesis 12, 3, he said to Abraham, he called him to go to a country that he would show him. Abraham didn't know where he was going, didn't know what he was going to do, except he just knew to obey God and he went. And, and God told Moses in Genesis 12, 3, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, how were all families on earth going to be blessed through Abraham? This is repeated in the Old Testament in other places, but look in particular at Genesis twenty-two eighteen, when God said to Abraham again, God repeated this to Abraham a few times, but at this time he said, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Do you know what was happening in that moment when God said that to Abraham? What had just happened? Do you remember when God told Abraham, go up and sacrifice your son, your only son on the altar? Do you remember that? And he laid his, he told his, his assistant, stay here. We're going up to worship. They went up to the top. They got uh, uh, the, the firewood and he laid his one and only son up there on the altar. And as he had his hand raised with the knife about to sacrifice his son out of faith to God, Hebrews would talk about it later. But what happened next? An angel called out, do not harm your son. He stopped him at the last second. And what did the angel say? That God had provided over there in the bush a what? A ram for the sacrifice. What was that moment about? Of course it was testing Abraham's faith, but that moment foreshadowed Jesus being sacrificed as God's one and only son. That perfect sacrifice, that one eternal, perfect, pure sacrifice for our sins. It foreshadowed that, and it foreshadowed that Abraham, through Abraham, would come Jesus, that perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God that God would give for all of us and through him bless all nations. See, the birth of Jesus is tremendously important because God was providing a sacrifice for our sins. And that's why Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide. And that's what God has done for us through the birth of Jesus. He provided the sacrifice. One time early in his ministry, John the Baptist saw Jesus, and he said to his disciples in John 1, 29, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin 
of the world. John the Baptist was there to, to, to trumpet the coming of the Messiah, to say, he's here, get ready. And he said, there's the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect offering who takes away the sins of the world. See, God is faithful to his promise to save us. All scripture points to Jesus as our Savior. The Israelites were waiting on the promised Messiah. They knew Jeremiah had prophesied in Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Now, what did they think even in the New Testament days early on. They believed that this Messiah would reign over an earthly power, an earthly kingdom of, of political power and military power, right? That's what they believed. That's what they were expecting. And we'll defeat these Romans and we'll, we'll be victorious and we won't be oppressed and, and God will give us the victory. In fact, we see in Matthew 1.1 that as Matthew writes to a Jewish audience, he tells them that this, is, this Jesus is the son of David, son of Abraham. And so they see this connection and they understood that he, this Messiah, was the promised one. But Jesus' purpose in being born as a human into this world wasn't to be the king of an earthly power as we know, but to be the eternal, as the Bible says multiple times, Lord of lords and king of kings. And that is referred to uh, three times in the New Testament and every time about Jesus himself, that he's the Lord of lords and king of kings. You see, Jesus' birth mattered to Jewish people who waited for their Messiah. And it matters for us today, not because we're waiting for him to be born again on this earth, but for him to return one day and take his children to be with him eternally in heaven. Paul wrote in Titus 2.13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul said that's our hope now. That's what we wait for now. They waited for the Messiah to be born on earth to come to them. And now we wait for the Messiah to return and take us to be with him eternally. Jesus' birth matters because it shows that God is faithful to his promise to deliver to us a Savior. Next, the good news we see gets even better than the birth of Jesus. Because Jesus' birth also meant that God was dwelling with us. Not just that he sent his son to be born, but in addition to that, on top of that, to expand that and grasp the fullness of that, that God was dwelling with us. And that's almost incomprehensible. We know that John tells us in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We see that Jesus is God in the flesh, is the Word, the message of God in the flesh to dwell, to reside, to pitch His tent, to tabernacle, to reside with us on this earth. Isaiah said, therefore, 
the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Do you know what the name Emmanuel means? We don't hear that referred to very often in Scripture, and we don't say that very much, but do you know what Emmanuel means? Well, Matthew tells us in Matthew 1.23 that Emmanuel means God with us. Isn't that what John just said in John 1, 1 and 14? That Jesus would be God with us and, and, and you shall call his name Emmanuel because that's, what, that's who he is. So Emmanuel was not, he didn't mean a name to call him, but he meant who he was, that he embodied, that he was God with us. That's who Jesus was when he was born. See, God is not a distant, impersonal, faceless, unknown God who just created the world and set it in motion and stepped back to watch it spin. That's not what God did. God has always cared for us, and he came and took up residence with us, among us. He felt what we feel. He, he, loves, uh, he knows the loves of our hearts. He's experienced what we experience. He knows what we worry about. He knows what we fear. He knows what concerns us because he was here in the flesh among us to experience life as we experience it. And when Isaiah said he would be called Emmanuel, he didn't mean that would be his name, but that he would be God with us, among us. What God, so-called, has ever done that? Only the great one and only true and living God, God Almighty, came down from heaven to do that. See, God drew near to us in the birth of His Son so that we can draw near to Him through faith in Christ. Do you see that? God coming to us in the birth of His Son was God drawing near to His people to save his people. That baby laid in that hay-filled manger over there with his mother and father was literally God with us, showing us that God's love never fails. The birth of Jesus matters because one of the members of the Godhead emptied himself to be with us. He emptied himself for us. He made himself a servant in order to save us. We see that in Philippians 2 as Paul encapsulates this beautiful uh, uh, way of describing the gospel message, the good news of Jesus. Paul wrote in Philippians 2, 6 and 7, who th though he was in the form of God, did not, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to where he wasn't going to let go of it. That's what he means. Verse 7, but he emptied himself, or some translations, made himself nothing. How? By taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. You know the shepherds that came to see baby Jesus? Remember that? Did you know in Jewish culture, shepherds were near the bottom? That was not a favored uh, a job. That wasn't somewhat something that uh, you aspired to do. 
They were unclean. They were unkept. They were dirty. They were stinky. They were shepherds. They were out there with the animals. What was God saying by the shepherds going to visit baby Jesus? That God came to be among regular people. You and I, the everyday regular people. That God, Jesus, didn't come to live in a palace in a mansion and have servants and to be served and to rule and reign on this earth with might and power and glory. But He came in a manger and shepherds came among Him because God came for all of us, for everyone, through His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus surrendered His rights and privileges that He had as the Son of God in heaven. The very Son of God took on the form of a servant, lowly, meek, and humble. Jesus said of Himself in Matthew 20, 28, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to do what? To serve, and then what? Give His life as a ransom for many. The only suitable Savior with the ability to actually save us was God Himself, the perfect Lamb of God. The one who was denied came to save His deniers. The one who was rejected came to save His rejectors. The one who had been rebelled against came to save His rebellers. You see, the reason Jesus became a human man, was born into this human world, uh, was to die for the world. As, as God uh, uh, in, in heaven, He could not do that. He could only do that as man, as human. Is the only way He could have died for us. Do you know what His name Jesus means? Maybe we don't say that often enough. Do you know what Jesus means? It means God is salvation or God saves. God is salvation. That's what Jesus means. God saves. You see, that's exactly why Jesus came. That's exactly what He does. Is He's that Word of God, that message of God, that God saves. God is with us and God is salvation. That's Jesus. He saves those who turn to Him in faith. I want to ask you this morning, have you turned to Him in faith? Have you put your faith in the Savior who came to be born in a manger, born of no means, rode in on a donkey in the triumphal entry, and yet God, because Paul tells us in Philippians 2, because He obeyed, because He did what God sent Him to do, He raised Him up and lifted Him up. And he, now he's Lord of lords and King of kings. And every knee shall bow and everyone will confess that Jesus is Lord. Have you turned your life over, entrusted your life, turned yourself over to him as your Lord and your Savior? Because if you haven't, then you don't know the salvation that God sent to us in the birth of Jesus on that day. You don't know the salvation that He promises us through the death, burial, and resurrection and the hope that we have to be resurrected and raised to life, to walk in newness of life by being united with Him in baptism and then to live eternally with Him in heaven. 
What better present could you ever get on Christmas than to become a child of God, to put on Christ in baptism? What a wonderful present. And maybe you've been thinking about it and you've been putting it off, but, but maybe today is the day for you. Or maybe you need to say, look, I need some prayers about this. I need prayers about my life because I haven't been living like Jesus is my Savior, like, like I realize who He is, and I need to get back on track. And you want the prayers of the church as this year ends. How will you end this year and be ready to begin this new year? If we can help you this morning, we want to encourage you, remember that Jesus is more than just a reason for a season. He's the reason for everything, our whole existence and our salvation. If we can help you this morning, come forward as we stand and sing.